0: Alright, Philippians chapter 3. So tonight is a kind of a special night in that this is our last time we are looking at our priorities. So it's been 10 weeks. We've looked at a number of things. If I can just try to recall from your memory. We started with this illustration. We talked about the rice and the walnuts, right? And you get a jar... And the first thing you do is you pour in the rice into the jar, right? And then after that, you get, we'll say rocks. Rocks makes more sense. You get the rocks, and you put them in, and you find out that they don't fit all the way. And you have rocks left over. <clears throat> well, you take it out, and you reverse the order. This time, you put the rocks in first, and you put the rice in, and it fills around The rocks. And what that signified was that the rocks are our priorities and the rice is just the stuff we do in life that fills up time, energy, emotions. And if we don't make our priorities the first things in our life, we'll end up living our lives pursuing things that ultimately don't matter, that are just like plain white rice. Tonight, in our small group, we talked about, guys, what what exactly is a priority? As a good reminder a priority is not something where okay well maybe this week I'll do a little added effort maybe I'll think a little more this week about saying prayers or reading my Bible a priority is not something that I need to remind you about a priority is saying this thing is going to come first and everything else can wait God is our priority our relationship with Christ is our priority and I can't think of a better example of someone writing this down in Philippians chapter three. So look down with me, would you? Philippians chapter three, verse seven. I'm going to read what the Apostle Paul says. Philippians three verse seven. "But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death that by any means possible i may obtain the resurrection from the dead verse 12 not that i've already obtained this or i'm already perfect but i press on to make it my own because christ jesus has made me his own Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we ask now that as we open up your scriptures, Lord, that, that God, you'd use these words to, dis- to transform our lives. God, help us to make you the priority of our life, that we may know you and the power of your resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Both my parents are state workers in the state of California. They work at a prison in our little hometown. One day, my mom comes to me in the eighth grade and says, Aaron, they're having Bring Your Kid to Work Day at the prison." As an eighth grader, I thought that was a little bizarre. But I said, you know what? I'm actually really fascinated with that offer. I want to go see what the prison is like. So I went to bring your kid to work day, and it was really just an orientation of don't be in a gang, seems like, that's all I talked about. <laughs> um, and, but the most thing the biggest thing I was fascinated with, they have all these boards and it showed this board of all the different shanks that they have found and all the clever ones. So they got toothbrushes that are like carved down to like really pointy. But the best one, I'm looking at maybe like a hundred of them, I'm like, chapstick? I'm like, why wow, that's not a knife? The guy opens it up, and there's even chapstick on the top of it. He starts twisting it. The chapstick falls out and out pops a knife. I'm like, bravo to that guy. That guy's smart. And I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm, you know, looking at prison and they're talking about what all the prisoners get. Some of them, if they're on good behavior, they get to watch TV. They all get three meals a day. They get somewhat okay medical insurance because, you know, they have doctors and nurses there to help them. They get time to go outside and stretch their legs. They actually have some freedom there. They can learn, they can take classes, they can go to chapel, they can have any religious um, leader come and give their service to them. And I, I'm, I'm looking I'm like, man, they actually, doesn't sound that bad, you know, maybe just grab a few books, sit in the cell all day and not have to worry about my cell phone, like thinking about, no, prison's bad, right? Don't do drugs. Um, <laughs> I'm th- I, was, I, was, I was reminiscing that day of taking your kid to work day, and I'm looking at prisons, and reminded of what Paul is doing right now in this letter, Philippians. Paul is in prison while he writes these words. But the prison that Paul is in is nowhere near the prison that my parents work at. Do you guys know how much it costs to incarcerate one inmate on average? Huh? Incarcerate? imprison prison someone? $31,000 on average for one inmate. In the state of, yeah, for year. That's like a lot of money, right? You can think of all the personnel, all the guards, the food, the building, the upkeep. Thirty-one thousand. In the state of New York, it's sixty thousand per inmate. And I read about what prisons were like in in the Roman world, where it was cold, dark, guaranteed not to get three meals a day, lucky to get a meal every three days where Paul probably was in a room where he couldn't even stretch out his legs. Where he probably often got beat for preaching what he believed in. And I'm thinking about what an inmate might have some, some few luxuries here in America. And I'm thinking about the Apostle Paul writing not just the book of Philippians, but Ephesians and Colossians and Galatians, you know, these, these prison epistles. And the things that he writes about. I mean, if you, if you, who here has read the book of Second Corinthians before? If there's one word to describe that book, it is the word suffering. Paul is saying, I've been whiplashed 39 times, shipwrecked, abandoned, destitute. You know, people tried to stone me. They thought I was dead. I got up and I walked back into the city. All for the sake of Christ. And he has suffered so much. And he writes this, that I may know him that I may suffer for him. And if there's one thing that Paul is trying to tell us in this famous passage. It's that Christ plus anything ruins everything. Christ plus anything ruins everything. You see, Paul right here, I think we get the best example of what a devoted life to Christ looks like. A life that is Nothing apart from Christ is going to take my emotion, my energy, my thought life. A life that says, you know what? I'm not going to just go through my Christian life and put in the bare minimum work. This is a life that is fully devoted. And so, in this passage, you'll we'll see three aspects of what a devoted life to Christ looks like. But rather, three aspects of a person who has made Christ their priority. So, A life devoted to Christ has no second. Verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul had just got done talking about people who were in the church and they were bragging. Oh yeah? Guess what? I'm this kind of Jew. I follow all these rules. I have this much money. And people inside the church were going around telling other people that, listen... You know, yeah, you might be a Christian, but if you want to be a really good Christian, you also got, you got to get circumcised, too. And you have to follow these rules. And people are boasting, they're bragging about how great of a Christian they are. And I almost, I, I almost like love the sentiment that he has. Actually, let's look at a few verses. Um, uh, we'll start in verse 4. Look at verse 4. Though I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh. So what he's saying there is like, I myself, if you think you can brag... Look at me, okay? He says this, verse 4, it goes on. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. If you were a Jew in the first century, this list is like almost hearing... Not only am a 4.0 student, I'm a 4.4 student. I have um, internships with every congressman you can think of. I went to Harvard this, I went to this. I was, you know, by the time I was twenty-three I had a net worth of ten million dollars, and eventually I became the youngest president at age thirty seven. Like, talk about just like the most impeccable resume you could ever have. That's what Paul is saying. I have reason to boast, Paul. Is saying. If I wanted to go around and to my own horn, I can do it better than you can. And what does he say? But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. A devoted life to Christ has no second. You see, Paul realizes something that any accomplishment that he has apart from Christ really means nothing. It is worthless. It is useless. A life that is devoted to having a good record, to getting into a good college, to having a lot of money, to being popular, to being good at a sport, apart from Christ, is nothing. And it's not so much even the fact that Paul wants these things. Paul wants to know Christ and Christ only. And verse 80 he goes on, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You see, all throughout Paul's epistles, he is talking with Christians who are confused. As in there's some part of their Christian life that they're distorted about thinking about how the church should function, about how they should view God. And this is something that comes up in Paul's, I guess, epistles a lot. He's saying this. Us Christians, we're all different, right? God has given us different gifts. But there's a great equalizer. And that is... The Holy Spirit, that is Christ in us. So there's Christians who go around saying, you know, yeah, you've been coming to church for a little bit, but, you know, I'm a really, I'm a super Christian. I could recite the whole Old Testament from to backwards. And believe it or not, there were Jews who at one point could do that. And there are people who say, you know what, well, I come to church every single week and you know I see you missing quite a bit. And they keep records. And Christians compare each other. You know, last week at church, we talked about Reformation Sunday. Was anyone here for that service? You know, a common practice of the Catholic church was to create this hierarchy that people like priests or pastors or missionaries, that they had this this somewhat super spirituality about them. And the rest of you, ah, peasants. You have this lower view of who God is. You can't even read the Bible for your own. And they read it in Latin. They created this... This hierarchy. Then Martin Luther comes and he talks about a shoemaker. How a shoemaker is artful, what he does. And he talks about how he takes his time and he, and he makes the ribbons for it and the bows. And, he, and he's pressing the shoes and he stains it. And he talks about this work of art and how really anyone, no matter what you're doing, whether it's my job where I'm spending time talking with you guys or preparing a message or whether I'm cleaning toilets. That a correct view of work is that I'm going to serve God and serve others. doesn't matter what you're doing. Paul is saying this. Nothing compares to Christ. And because of that, Paul is trying to get this point across, that as a Christian, there can be no second in your life. There can be no other God comparable to... Towards your priority, that is in Christ. Paul was persecuting the church. He was the perfect Jew. And here's what he says: doesn't matter. All I care about now is knowing Christ. Every accomplishment I have doesn't matter. Today was somewhat of a special day. I finally got like the last ending piece of seminary. It finally mailed. The diploma. Finally, pay, I paid them all their money. I took all their courses. Who's in church this morning? Yeah? Who preached? Eric Bells, right? Me and that guy have a very deep connection. You guys want to know why? Because me and Eric Bells both had Dr. McGarry for Hebrew. And we talk about that, and we reminisce. I said, did you guys call him Mad Dog McGarry? He said, oh yeah, that and Scary McGarry. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, we have this connection. And so, I, and I, I'm a little proud. I, I get my parents show me the picture because I got mailed to their house. I'm like, you know what? That looked good on my wall. People are going to look at that. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing words of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. There's an illustration I heard in college. And he talked about our life needs to be examined in open palms. And everything we have in life, we need to have it in open palms. So, for example, we have our health, our talents, our smarts, our friends, our family, our money, our comfort, <coughs> everything in, in an open palm. We need to have it in open palm. Here's our tendency though. When it comes to friends, when it comes to the future, for a lot of you. When it comes to my car. When it comes to I want to do what I want to do. I don't care what you say, Mom or Dad. When it comes to being well-known and well-liked, we tend to try to hold on to that pretty tightly. We tend to close our palms. I'm not sure if many of you have experienced um, a loved one dying. The tendency is not just to hear God open palm. Tendencies. I want to hold on. And he began to describe that with an open palm. God is trying to tell us that at any moment, I want to come and take anything out of your life. Open palm. I remember hearing that as a freshman at, at college and saying, that is one thing that I'm just not good at. That I don't think many people are good at. Paul is saying, though, well, listen, there is no second. There is nothing that compares to Christ. I want to do God's will. And so, God, here I open my palms and I place my daughters, my wife, my family, my belongings, my friends. God, whatever you want to do in my life, you can take it. A devoted life to Christ has no equal second. That it is Christ and it is Christ only. That is our main concern. So he goes on and he talks about a life devoted to Christ doesn't rely on himself. So he... Middle of verse 8, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul got this perfectly. That my salvation is not connected to anything I do whatsoever. This is a truth, this is a doctrine that many Christians recite a lot, yet functionally they never live it out. I have nothing to offer God that is noteworthy. I have nothing of my own self that is worthy before God. And Paul says that. That is the righteousness only from Christ. And he doesn't rely on himself at all. But here's what people like to do. They like to say, yes, Jesus, I want your righteousness. I want your holiness. Come save me. Forgive me of my sins. And here's what they do. They take that, yet they they say, well, I messed up a lot today in the last couple weeks, so I really need to try to prove to God that I really do love him, so I'm going to do a few things. I'm going to make sure I'm really devoted to God this week to show them that I love him. It's like, God, man, I messed up like three times in like one hour of like a really bad sin. God, I just feel really bad, and... God, I'm just going to make it up to you somehow. God, I know that. Maybe I'm going to start reading my Bible more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to try to come into church a little more often. And I find myself doing that at times. Just like any other relationship, if I offended one of you, I want to go out of my way say, what can I do to amend this? And I try to fix it. I am the typical guy. If you come to the problem, I will try to fix your problem, not listen to your problem. In the same way we do the same thing with God. I have sinned. I have rebelled against you. How can I fix it? God, how can I make this up to you? And this is what the Christians are trying to do. They're saying, "Look you know what, yeah, you need Christ, but you also you need some other stuff too. You need to make sure that you're this much holy, though, too, by the way. But you have to make sure you do this much, and then you can have Christ. Christ, plus anything, ruins everything. Christ plus anything ruins everything. I'm saddened by the number of cults there are who go around saying they're Christians, who knock on my door, and they start telling me other things that I need to do in order to be saved or to have salvation or to find their way of life. And I I get them down to boil it down. What do I have to do to go where you're going one day? And they begin to list things. And they'll say Jesus, and they'll say this, and they'll say this, and they'll say this. Christ plus anything, it ruins everything. My salvation is never, ever, ever dependent on anything I do. The times where I'm connected with Christ and I still I make mistakes and I fall short of what he's required of me is not me saying, God, how can I fix this relationship? It's me coming back to the cross and saying, God, I screwed up once again. Forgive me based on what Jesus has done. Help me to stand free because of what Christ has done. I do not obey because I feel like I have to make it up to God. I do not obey because I feel like if I do this, maybe God will then bless me. I obey because I love Him. I obey because He accepted me. That's what Paul's trying to say here. You know, I'm really fascinated with history and one of my favorite Things to, to study is World War II, right? Um, war. Um, so the Holocaust. I remember studying that in high school, wow. going to museums in high school. The camp um, in Auschwitz. And above they had this sign. It said, Abrex Machtsfrei in <coughs> German. And it said this Work will liberate you. Another translation is, work will set you free. And as they were shoveling the Jews into this camp, they're making them think, if you just work hard, you'll be fine and you'll be free. If you come here, do what you're supposed to do, you can save your life and go off. And they gave them a little bit of hope with the return of a huge, devastating lie. They we all know the Holocaust, they took them into Auschwitz, which was one of the worst camps, and they did genocide to them. The same way Christians over and over and over again and cults all around the world and people in this room think that if I work at doing certain things, maybe even the last message we talked about last week, yeah, you know, this week I'm going to try to be extra holy. And they think that if I try to do good things, then God will love me. And just as is a lie for the Jews in the Holocaust, work will never liberate you. Only Jesus will. Verse 12. 12. Not that I have already obtained this, or I am already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining for what lies ahead besides the person of Jesus Christ himself i think the apostle paul is by far the most impressive person in the new testament i i cannot read any of his <laughs> words without being like awful like like in, in a sense of awe like how does a man who's, who's, who suffers that much who persecuted the church, write such wonderful, great things, obviously on the inspiration of the Spirit. But how does a man have any sense of endurance? And here's, and here's what I, I come to know about this passage. By the way, this is one of my favorite um, New Year's Day passages. I read it every single January 1st. Is that even the Apostle Paul, who I, who I think like oozed holiness and perfectness, you know? is saying this one thing. That I haven't obtained it. That I haven't reached my goal. That making Christ my priority, I'm still working towards that. That knowing Christ above all things and considering everything as lost is a work in progress. A devoted life to Christ makes Jesus their priority. That is what Paul is saying Paul is saying, not just am I straining towards Christ, it is just like this amount of great effort. Like um, a joke, I don't know, maybe it's a really bad joke, I don't know, and I was sharing with my small group guys. Mein um, Kampf, you guys know what that is? Yeah. The book that Hitler wrote. Translation, uh, My Struggle. So a lot of times my, um, my wife will ask me to do the dishes, oh, Mein Kampf, you know, My um, struggle. You know, Paul is saying, Mein Kampf, like my struggle. (coughs) Constantly straining forward. I haven't reached it. But the best thing about this, Brothers, I do not consider that I made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I'll read that in New Year's Day, thinking about the year I just had thinking about the times where I was far from Christ, where my affections and my devotions for him were very small. The times where I just went through the ritual of religion. The times where I sang songs but didn't mean it in my heart. The times where I gave messages and it wasn't true of me. And I repeat these words. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward what lies ahead. Paul understood that the Christian life is a life of going ups and downs. There are weeks where your affections and your devotions to Christ are through the roof. And all you want to do is talk about Christ and sing songs and read your Bible. And there's weeks, maybe even the week you just had, where Christ is barely on the register. Where you think priority? God being a priority? No. There's barely even an afterthought this week. And I meet a lot of people who say, I'm in a rut in my Christian life. or maybe just things aren't really happening. And I'm not really excited. And it's just kind of a, a dud right now. What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Do what Paul does. You know, I'm not going to worry about the past. You know, the past is just very simply put is the past. Maybe last week wasn't the best for you. One thing I do, and forget that, I'm going to strain towards my main priority. And that is Christ. Christ is your life. Christ is your priority. Nothing else matters. I've got a question for you guys. It's a pretty hard one. Does anyone know here how many laws are in the United States? We're going to count state laws, tribal laws, you know, like Indian reservations, federal laws. anyone have a guess of how many laws there are in the United States? <laughs> Brady, you work for the government. Come on. <laughs> many th- yeah. That's actually the answer. There's like millions. Millions like there's like 23,000 laws alone for the state of Washington on how you drive your car. It's just like it's insane. Um, laws include everything, you know, like how laws are even put into place. There's laws, thousands of laws about that alone. Sometimes when I read the Bible, and me and, me and Jacob here kill okay, Jacob. Baby face Jacob now. Um, we we're reading through the Pentateuch together. And the Old Testament. And I was reading Leviticus just a little while ago. Law after law after law. That's what it is. Deuteronomy, like, I mean, the Pentateuch, means book of law. And so those first five books, you know, when you read the Psalms, like, your law, I meditate day and night. He's talking about the book of Leviticus. I'm like, dude, what? <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, it's in the Bible, but I'll say it. But I do not need to be told not to have sex with my sister. And the Bible says it, you know, it's like, dude, like why does it have to be there? Not to sleep with your donkey. Like oh, oh. If you go home and tell it to your parents, just you say it's in the Bible too. So I'm just repeating what God says. So many laws sometimes, and I'm thinking in my Christian life, like, man, sometimes I hear so many messages. You need to be better at reading your Bible, you need to be better at praying, you need to be better at evangelizing and being better a part of this group. And being better at holiness and godliness and do this and have this as your priority. And there's so many different things. So many laws. So many messages. Let's turn to Matthew twenty two. 22, quick thumbs up when you're there. <clears throat> Matthew 22, verse 34. Matthew 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and prophets. Try to summarize every law in the United States of America and you never could. And Jesus summarizes the whole Bible into these two things. Love God and love people. Because making God a priority of your life, it needs to have ramifications. It needs to show something. And that's, that's part of what we've been doing the last 10 weeks. It's showing these are some natural things that flow out of a life that has made Christ a priority. But you know, even as I look at those 10 different things and can feel overwhelmed at times, this right here needs to be our solace. And that if we love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, all of our strength, all of our soul, if we love people as ourselves, all of those ten priorities we talked about will naturally occur in your life. If you love God with everything that you have, you will love His Word. If you love Him and have a relationship with Him, you will pray to Him. Rightly. If you love people, you will find the need to share the good news of Jesus with them. If you love people in the church, You will care about community and caring about their needs and seeking to encourage them. If God is your priority, you will seek to have a life that is pleasing to Him because He is holy. We should be holy. And so to summarize this whole last ten weeks would be to summarize in the words of Jesus. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great first commandment. And a second is like it. She'll love your neighbor as yourself. Now, as I pray, you won't forget completely everything that I've talked about in the last 11 weeks. But if you take one thing away, take this away. Making Christ our priority looks like this. Love God and love people. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it is true and it is powerful. God, that it speaks. God, we ask now, Lord, that you would take God, this time looking at what it looks like to have a devoted life to you and God, that you'd use Paul's example of God, of someone who said, you know what, I don't care about anything this life has to offer. God, I don't care about the applause and the audience I get from having a good resume or an impeccable life. God, help us to care about you and you only. God, there's things in life that we have to do. God, we go to school to get training. God, to get a job to provide for families. God, and to, to use your resources wisely. God, we have to go and run on errands. God, and do practical things. And God, let us not be too heavenly minded in order that we're no earthly good. But Lord, help us to know that in everything... God, we need to love you and love others. God, sometimes it, it does become complicated if we take this out of perspective. God, that there's so many things to do that all Christians want to do is bark orders. God, help us to love you and to love others. God, help us to make you our priority. God, I pray that these students would go through life. God, would graduate, move on. God, start families. Start businesses, God, knowing that making you their priority is the only thing in life worth pursuing. God, help us to be more affectionate, more devoted, more in love with you each day. God, I pray for these students. God, bless them. God, help them to know you better. In Jesus' name, amen.